The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. You may not know who I am because we have guests every week, but not, my name is John and I'm part of the church staff as well. And it's my privilege over the next couple of weeks to be sharing with you about this amazing concept of reset button. I'm excited about it. I mean, who doesn't love a reset button, right? I mean, that's what everybody in life wants. And so hopefully we'll get some good stuff out of this today and you'll go home and be blessed. I wanted to just briefly say something to you this morning that, uh, that I've noticed are my observations since I am no longer the lead pastor of the church. I have a new role now. I've noticed that some of you have become a little bit uncomfortable with that. And I've noticed that just in our interactions with my interactions with you. And so I just wanted to let you know, maybe here's a couple things that'll help you just relax a little bit, okay? My role has changed at the church, but my love for you hasn't changed at all. I still love you as much as I ever loved you before, okay? So the role's changed, but John hasn't changed. So you can still talk to me. It's okay. It's okay. I've seen people come up to me and they go, whoa, he's not a pastor anymore. I still get up in the morning and put on my underwear and my pants. I am still a person. I love you. I still do most of the things that I used to do. I'm still teaching and preaching and mentoring and encouraging and meeting with people. And I'm still doing all the things I did before. I'm still on the church staff. It's just that my role has changed a little bit. So so it seems like people, they just don't know what to say. So I want you to just, let's clear the air, okay? And when you come up to me and you can say, hey, John, how you doing in your new role? And I'll, hey, how's your golf game going now that you have all this free time? And make sure to always end every conversation with me with something like, and you know, you're the best pastor we've ever had. <laughs> and I love you so much. Here's $100. Okay, does that help? Okay. So, couple observations I've noticed the last number of weeks. Don't be a quitter. Amen. This is not a time to quit. <laughs> Our church is going through transition, but transition is healthy. It's good. You go through transitions all the time in your life. Think about it. All the different transitions that you've been through in your life, and you have survived all of them. Well, that's good news. You're going to survive this one, too. Now is not the time to quit. So let's pull together as a family. Not that people are quitting and leaving. I'm not, I don't want to leave that impression. That's not happening as far as I know. But now is not the time to quit. Now's the time to push in even more and get more connected to the church and to the family and to God's purposes for you. So don't quit coming on Sunday morning. Keep coming every week. 
and you hang in there and we'll get there soon, okay? Don't stop your 20-minute mornings. It's absolutely vital that you continue on in 20-minute mornings every morning, every day of your life. We say that all the time, but don't give up. If you've had a hard time with it and you fell behind or whatever, just get right back in and keep going with it, okay? It's absolutely vital that we all continue in our 20-minute mornings. And then finally, don't stop giving. Some people are like, well, I'm not going to give until I see who the next guy is. I mean, because if they're going to change everything, I don't know if I want to stick around, you know, so I'm going to withhold. Well, that's not the right attitude. Because we don't want to have, during this transition time, no money to work with. We still have to go from week to week to week to week. So stay generous. Keep getting fat. Give more during this time of transition so that we can be financially strong when we finish this transition. Okay? So let's not be quitters. Americans are notorious quitters. We quit at everything, all right? Any little thing happens, I quit. Okay, that just needs to change. And let's be solid, okay? Amen? Amen? That's my little pep talk. Okay. Reset button. Let me say a quick prayer before we get into this. Father, please help me today to communicate your word with truth and with power and with effectiveness. Lord, you have blessed me with this story. It has it is touched my heart, and I pray in return that it would also touch the hearts of everyone here. So, Lord, give me the grace to share it in a way that brings glory to your name. Amen. I love the idea of a reset button. I mean, who doesn't? It's the ultimate do-over, right? When we were kids, we used to yell, do-over, and it was always the other person's, you know, whether or not they allowed you to have a do-over, was, you know, do-over. No, you can't have a do-over. You just had a do-over. Or in golf, I love a mulligan, right? Free shot, extra shot, two or three or four of those are good. When you're golfing with me, you're supposed to get one, but hey, you know, I need it. T-ball. I don't know why they have T-ball, but somebody said, let's torture kids, and so we'll have T-ball. <laughs> and then you go from that to uh, coach pitch baseball. And this is the point where every parent learns that they're not going to get rich from their child's talent. <laughs> right? Their hopes are dashed at this point. Because we... I remember the first game I saw, Coach Pish, he threw three balls to the first kid. He struck out at all three, and then we threw him another one. <laughs> and, oh, keep going. And I learned out it was keep going until you hit the ball, kind of baseball. That's kind of the idea of reset. But when it comes to Christianity and the church and Jesus, because we're all about Jesus, then reset becomes about Jesus's capability, his power to change our lives, to reset our course into something better. It all comes around and revolves around Jesus. So I've given today a title. The title of today's talk is A Scandalous Proposal. Jesus does amazing things. And every now and then he does something that is just completely scandalous from our perspective, from our point of view. 
And so you have to get into the text and read it and find out exactly what is Jesus up to. So today we're in the book of Hosea. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hosea. If not, I think it'll be on the screens. Hosea is right, Go if you go to the middle of your Bible and then a pinch further, you'll find Hosea. Hosea is a minor prophet. We call him a minor prophet because he worked in the coal mines. So he's a minor prophet. His, his name means salvation. Okay, that's an important thing to remember. That, that'll come up later. You'll see the importance or significance of the meaning of his name, which means salvation. This is a prophetic book, okay? So translating prophetic books, are, it's tricky. You gotta be careful. You just can't read it <clears throat> without giving attention to the context, all right? It's really important to understand what are we reading here what did it mean to Hosea? What did it mean to the people that heard Hosea the very first time? What did they think it meant? What does it mean in the context of history and the history of Israel? And then, and then is there any other New Testament passages that correlate to this, that support what's being said in this prophetic book? Also, this is critical, critical, important to understand when when, in, when reading prophetic books like this one, this is prophets do weird things. And so this is not written that we would emulate what they do. It's historical. So we read it. Okay, this is what God did for Hosea. This is not what he wants you to do. And how can I say that? How can I be so confident that's how you should read it? Well, I've read the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was weird, okay? Ezekiel is a prophet, and God told him, now get this, you'll have to study it to make sure I'm not lying to you. God told Ezekiel to take his own poop, make a fire with it, and cook his food over that fire. Hey, Zeke, what's you cooking in there? Woo, man, that's stinking bad in there. Oh, he ran out of propane. <laughs> Summer barbecue? Okay, so just because Ezekiel's doing that doesn't mean you're supposed to do that, okay? So that's got to be applied also to Hosea, okay? So don't just go and do what he did because this is a prophetic book. All right. Let me give you a brief overview of the book and what it's about, and I can do that in four words, real easy to remember. This book is about four words, ready? Sin, judgment, forgiveness, and love. Those four things, that's what the book of Hosea is about. This wonderful, shocking story is about those four things. All right, let's look at verse one. Verse 1 of chapter 1, the Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Bere, during the years of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. So basically, we're getting an introduction here, and we're seeing that based on history, Hosea was a prophet for a really long time, because he lasted through all of these kings, north and south kingdoms. So very few prophets prophesied over the whole nation of Israel. Hosea is one of those. 
Perhaps that's why he's at the beginning of the Minor Prophets, but who knows. And so this also tells us that Hosea was a real prophet of God. Now, you may hear people say to you, they're a prophet of God. Okay, don't believe them. This is a real prophet of God, not like the ones you see on TV. This is a guy who actually, God did actually speak through him. Okay? And so we can bank our lives on that. We know that to be true, that what Hosea said came from God himself. Okay. You with me so far? Chapter, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Can you imagine hearing that request? I tried to put myself in Hosea's shoes, and how would I feel? Oh, Lord, uh, did you say, go carry a lawsuit? No. Go marry a prostitute? I tried to do some research on that. I don't recommend it. Trying to figure out, what was it like for Hosea to have to go and marry a prostitute? All I could find out was that, basically, prostitution is the oldest known profession, if you can call it that. It's been around since the beginning of time. But he said, you should marry, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. He didn't say, go and marry your high school sweetheart, because that would make perfect sense. He didn't say, go and marry somebody who's 10 years older than you. Okay, that's different, but hey, that's fine. He didn't say, go and marry anyone other than a prostitute. He said, marry a prostitute. Something that will be so shameful so humiliating that he would have to go and do this. What's my family going to think of me? What are my parents going to say when I come home? Mom, Dad, here's this girl I found. You know how gossip is in the synagogue and people are going to whisper, Oh, Hosea married a prostitute. Hosea. God, you have asked me to do a hard thing. No, you have asked me to do an impossible thing. Imagine the shame in this request. He wasn't just asking for Hosea to do something difficult. He was asking Hosea to surrender his whole life. Because that's what it would cost him. Cost him his reputation, his money, his freedom. God was asking him to give everything by going and marrying a prostitute. 
And we haven't even gone into the whole part about Hosea being a man of God and a man of God going to those places. Lord, where do I go? Where do I find a prostitute? I don't go to those places. You know, what if my pastor sees me there? Then you need a new pastor. (laughs) I mean, what am I supposed to say to her? Uh, my name's Hosea. You want to marry me? Do you like white cake or brown? What am I supposed to say? You've asked me to give up a lot. Godly men don't do those kinds of things. Maybe I could do something else for you, God. You want me to go and fight the meanest guy in the town? Or maybe eat rotten eggs? Or here, have my left arm. Just don't make me go and marry a prostitute. Anything other than that. God, you've asked me to do a hard thing. If God has ever asked you to do a hard thing before, guess what? You're in good company. You're not the first person who's asked to do a hard thing, a shameful thing. And I asked myself, why did God choose a prostitute? Why, why, why go to a prostitute? I mean, was, she, was it because she was just so bad of a person? I mean, Jesus met this woman at the well, and she was clearly the most despised person in the town, a Samaritan woman, and she was like that, this woman here. And is it just because she was just so ugly and so low of a human being that he he wanted? No, I don't think that's the case at all because you could always find somebody worse, right? I mean, always. Find the worst person in this church and then we'll find somebody who's even worse. There's always somebody worse. I don't think that's the point God was trying to make. Why did God choose a prostitute? Well, he tells us right in the text. He tells us, verse 2, clear as day, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So that is why you must marry a prostitute because I'm saying something, I'm, I'm, I'm using your life as a visual, visual message about the unfaithfulness of Israel breaking her covenant with the Lord her God. And who was more of a covenant breaker than a prostitute? Every single time she lays with another man, she's committing adultery again, over and over and over and over, always continually violating the covenant of marriage. I mean, she was the perfect choice. If we're trying to find a covenant breaker, she was the perfect choice. Israel was breaking their covenant with God. And so God said, go and marry a covenant breaker. I think Jesus was referring to this in Matthew 9, 15, when he said, Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating the groom? Of course not. 
But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. He saw himself as the groom, and the bride was the church. His bride was all the people that he was going to gather to himself, the great wedding feast. You learn about that in Revelation 19. In the end it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. The writer of Revelation, John, he's telling us about this wedding that's going to take place between the Son of God and his bride, the church. Fully in Jesus, the covenant is fulfilled completely and once and for all. And so God was dealing with his unfaithful people of Israel Hosea represents Christ, and Gomer the prostitute represents Israel, or eventually you and me. Remember, his name means salvation. Interesting, isn't it, that he would represent Christ before the foundations of the earth, before Hosea was born. God had ordained that he would be born and called Hosea so that he could fulfill the mission that God had given him to be a representation or a forerunner to Christ the Messiah who would bring salvation to the world. So Hosea wasn't just prophesying to Israel and about her unfaithfulness to the covenant. He was giving a picture of a marriage between the Messiah and his people. So why did God ask him to marry a prostitute? I think the answer is obvious. Because no other person gives such a damning picture of covenant unfaithfulness than a prostitute. Just as a prostitute commits adultery over and over, each time she breaks that covenant again, she becomes the ultimate covenant breaker. Also interesting to note that she was incapable of loving Hosea. There's nothing glamorous about the prostitution industry. They call it sex trafficking for a reason. It's not Julia Roberts and Richard Greer, and it is not pretty woman. It's more like ugly woman. This isn't fun. This isn't having a good night out. This is slavery. This is... Evil. The sex trafficking industry in the world is being run by the devil. And these women are treated as a piece of meat, as a business asset. Not a human being, more like a dog. The prostitution industry equals suffering, not party. Oh, how the devil would love for you to think that's the case. Oh, these women are loving it. They're having a great time. Look at all this they're doing. Oh, how fun that is. No, 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 no. It is a nightmare. Your worst nightmare. 
And by now she had lost all feelings of love for anyone, especially herself. But she hates herself. And she thinks I could never marry anyone. No one would ever want me. I've been with so many men, I don't even know who I am anymore. So she wasn't able to love him. So here is Hosea. He's a godly man. And he goes and he finds a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. (laughs) Bad name. And he marries her. So we look at verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diplom. She became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon, Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Rahim, which means not loved. (laughs) Thank you. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but by my power as the Lord their God. And after Gomer had weaned Loramah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Loami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Wow! Other than the fact that these are some really bad baby names. (laughs) Honey, I've got the perfect name for our child. We'll call him Kiyoki, which means mighty man. Sorry, honey. God already gave me the name. It means not loved. But Hosea is a godly man. He obeys the Lord. And things are starting to look up. I mean, he, he bought this woman. He rescued her out of sex slavery. He's taking care of her. They got a nice little cottage. They had three kids. Play baseball on the weekends. Things are looking good. Seems like the reset button worked. And now Hosea and Gomer, they're on a whole new good life together. And then, boom, the whole thing falls apart again. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Are you kidding me she went back to prostitution and now you want me to go chase her again forget it God she left us she abandoned me she abandoned her three children she ran like a dog back to prostitution there's no way I'm going back to get her again you kidding me for the first time was shameful enough The second time now, oh, there's Hosea, the guy who married a prostitute. And then she left him again. 
and went back to prostitution. Lord, you've asked me to do a hard thing. You're asking me to give up my self-esteem, my sense of pride. She's the one who left. I provided for her. I loved her. I love my children. You've asked me to do a hard thing. I think this one was worse than the first time. And why do I think that? Look at verses 2 and 3. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine, which basically is the amount that you pay for a slave. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you'll not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. And I want you to try and put yourself in Hosea's shoes for a moment. She's abandoned him and the children and gone back to prostitution. And now he has to go back and get his wife. He goes up there and he says, Hey, honey, come on, let's go home. And she says, no, I'm here. Either that or the pimp said, no, you ain't taking her until you pay. And he had to pay for his own wife. He had to pay to get his own wife back. Paid the fee took her home, and then he rebuked her, and he said, you'll have sex with nobody for a period of time. Because it's going to represent this period of time where God is no longer speaking to Israel, this time of the minor prophets until the return of Jesus, the Messiah. There'll be nothing for 400 years. Hosea didn't know that. Hosea didn't know that, but that's what it meant. He had to pay 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and some wine to get his own wife back. I think Hosea had no idea that one day the ultimate groom would come, the Messiah. And the Messiah would pay for his bride. I think the Apostle Paul was thinking of this very thing when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. You must honor God with your body. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought by the Lord, and he paid the ultimate price for you. Not gold or silver or land. He paid with his life. He bought you with his life. He bought you out of slavery. He bought you into freedom. You could be his. You could be with him for all eternity. You talk about the ultimate reset button that is the ultimate of all time. Is that Jesus, before you were born, he bought you with his life. So that you could be his. 
so that you could be faithful to him and obey him with your life. Not like unfaithful Gomer. No, no. I know the Lord is reaching out to us this morning because I felt it in my own life. Is there a sin in your life that has you locked into slavery? Some sins grab a hold of us and they don't let go easily. Others are more easy to overcome. Gomer had received mercy and then she was unfaithful again. And maybe you can identify with that because you've been unfaithful to the Lord again and again and again. Maybe it's the very first time you're hearing about it now and you want God's forgiveness and his mercy for your sin. But, or maybe you've gone to him a hundred times. I don't know. But every time God says, I love you, I bought you. you. Maybe you're a slave to sexual sin or some other kind of sin. You can find freedom today in Jesus. Don't, listen to me, don't pass this by. Don't miss this opportunity. You're here, you're hearing this now because God is offering you a reset. And me. And it's based upon his blood. I think we should go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for forgiveness, for mercy. You know, you don't know long how long you have. You don't know how many opportunities you have. I don't know about mine. So don't miss this one. Because you don't know how many you have. Take this now. Maybe, maybe God has asked you to do a hard thing and you've been just, you are not willing to do it. You've been, you haven't said no, but you haven't said yes either. And the hard thing that God's asked you to do scares you to death. But you know you've got to do it. You're worried about what people will say or what people will think or your reputation or. You just need to obey. Now, he, God didn't tell anyone in this room to go marry a prostitute. You understand that? He told Hosea that and only Hosea. But he may have told you how to do that. You need to do something difficult. How are you going to respond to him today? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, thank you first for this wonderful story, this wonderful story of mercy. I see myself as Gomer, Lord. I do. I'm unfaithful to you. And any chance my flesh and my soul gets, it will turn away from you. My only hope, Lord, is the, is the cross of Christ. Because if the cross can save me from my sin, it can certainly keep me from ever falling out of your hands. So I will forever be in your grasp and in your grip. And you so lovingly always welcome me home.
when I run away. So I pray, Lord, for those who are runners and quitters. Lord, bring them home today. And those who feel like their life is trashed, it's ruined, they're scum. They've sinned too much. Lord, help them to see the truth is that they are loved so much. Christ Jesus loves them so much that he would pay to get them out of that slavery. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We ask you, God, to take us, wash us, and use us. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.